He fought for every inch of his success. In doing so, he provided an example for current and future generations to admire and emulate. His legacy is in the generation of players he influenced, who took confidence and inspiration in an American trying and doing things on the field that we thought only others did. Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lalas, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. As you heard, we'll be talking about Clint Dempsey. We'll have our Mossy Makes the Case segment. We'll be answering your questions in our Ask Alexi segment, and always so much more on the State of the Union podcast. But first, as always, joining me, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant, a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mr. Mossy, how are you this week? I am good, as good as I can be after the latest Michigan football debacle. Uh, yes, you are week. a Wolverine, for those of you that might be tuning in for the first time, a proud Michigan, uh, University of Michigan alum and uh, Wolverine faithful. Your, your football team, your American football team is not doing well, despite the fact that, don't you have one of these iconic type of uh, coaches in, um, what's his name, uh, with the pants, the, the, Jim the khakis? Harbaugh. There you go, Jim Harbaugh. What's the deal with him? He's just not good? When it really comes down to it? Very disappointing uh, so far. So we lost uh, season opener at Notre Dame this weekend, 24-17, in a game that was not as close as the score. We played terribly. Somehow hung around, had a chance at the end. but So all is lost, no bowl for the uh, Michigan Wolverines this Looks year, like right? it could be another long season. And, and goodbye, uh, you know, Spanish Archer, elbow, gone. He's gone uh, at the end of the year, you think? Yeah, I don't know. Oh, we'll God. All right. Speaking of football coaches, you've got this weird Tom Coughlin thing going with this podcast. You get here really early, mm -hmm. and then I get here on time, and it makes me feel like I'm late. Yes, because you should be here early in order to be on time. Everybody understands that, uh, you know. But, but that's how you want to live your life. That's fine. I'm not going to judge you for it, but don't judge me for actually having the respect for the men and women that work behind the scenes, okay, uh, and for you in a certain way by actually getting here early. It's what I've done all of my life. It's how I live my life. I'm not going to apologize it. To uh, I apologize to you or anybody for that. As a matter of fact, I think the world would be a much better place if people realized that being on time is actually being early. All right, enough of this. Uh, let's let's move on. You're not wearing a jersey today. You've evidently uh, gone off of that. You said that it's run its course. You're not going to be wearing any type of jerseys going forward. Is that true? No, I will, but I've, I've, I've worn every one I own so far, so unless people want to send me new ones, it's going to be all repeats from this point forward. If all right, okay send David it, Mossy you know. uh, jersey so he can wear them on air. He will, uh, I promise, mention your name if you, uh, if you do that. All right, let's get this thing going. Ready to light this candle? Yeah. All right. As you know, each and every week, we kick off the pod with... Alexi Lawless's State of the Union. Yes, it's time for my State of the Union, where I look at a part of the game from an American perspective. And it goes something like this. Clint Dempsey is an American soccer badass. Yes, he brought the numbers, the titles, and the resume, but more importantly, he brought the swagger. From the moment he burst on the scene, there was something different about the player and his play. A rugged fearlessness, an unconventional grace, and a beautiful arrogance define the man and the player. Dempsey had no problem running through a wall for club and country, and he did many times, but his genius was often finding a way around it. His mind worked in mysterious ways, enabling him to pull off the magical. It didn't always happen, but he always made us believe it could happen. To quote Bruce Arena, he tried shit. Even in failure, we could appreciate the audacity of the attempt. Dempsey didn't suffer fools. He could be frustrating and stubborn on and off the field. He had very little patience for celebrity or media or small talk, and he didn't apologize for anything. He fought for every inch of his success. In doing so, he provided an example for current and future generations to admire and emulate. 
His legacy is in the generation of players he influenced, who took confidence and inspiration in an American trying and doing things on the field that we thought only others did. Badass, husband, dad, brother, son, hunter, fisherman, rapper, artist, Texan, competitor, enigma. It's all part of a true American original. So here's to Clint Dempsey, and here's to trying shit. All right, David Mossy, Clint Dempsey, an obvious U.S. soccer legend. Uh, when did he first come on your radar, and do you think he deserves the accolades and the celebration that is being afforded him right now? Uh, first off, I don't condone that language that you used in that State <laughs> of the Union, so hopefully we can clean that up. But uh, no, he deserves all the accolades. He's obviously had a phenomenal career. But uh, before we go back to lauding him, I do want to ask you about the timing of his retirement, mm -hmm. because some people have raised this issue. Uh, he retires before the end of the season, but after the transfer window closed, so the Sounders can't really do anything with that roster spot to improve their team. Do you have any issue with that? Do I have an issue with it? I won't have an issue with it until I find out why it happened. Could he have helped his team in doing it earlier? Yes. But once again, this is this was very sudden. This was a surprise to a lot. Not that necessarily he's retiring, but that he did it at this moment, right in the middle of a season, with an opportunity to win another MLS Cup and kind of go out into the sunset uh, as a champion. So I think we're going to find out more. Once again, I have no inside information about what happened, but I think more will come out as to why this happened and why it happened specifically at this time. And if he was going to retire, doing it a little bit early would have made more sense from a Seattle Sounders standpoint. But Clint's going to Clint. He's going to do whatever he wants to do. It would not surprise me in the least, given the type of person that he is, that we don't hear from him. He, he fades off uh, and rides off into the sunset, goes fishing. That's the type of player. Uh, and more importantly, that's the type of person that he was. But I do hope that he stays involved. I do hope, because I think he has something to give. I think if he is able to articulate, and that's a big if, but if he is able to articulate and kind of harness the way that he thought about the game and impart that to future generations, I think it can be really beneficial. Now, not to go down the undisputed uh, LeBron-Michael Jordan route, but I do think it's an interesting debate. Dempsey, Donovan, uh, who's one, who's two in your list? Okay, so first I want to go back to something that you just said. Why are you qualifying it? I mean, if it's an interesting debate, it's an interesting debate. You don't think it's an interesting debate when it's LeBron and uh, Michael Jordan or uh, LeBron and, uh, and somebody else? I mean, if it's interesting, it's interesting, regardless. Is uh, it interesting or not? It is. To, but... to compare and contrast two players. Maybe two players of different generations. In this case, it would be two same generations with Clint Dempsey and, and Landon Donovan. But why, why are you uh, poo-pooing something like that? Uh, if we did it 50 podcasts in a oh, row, it would get a little on. tedious. That would right, be fine. undisputed right, well, let's, reference. Let, but... Let's talk about this. Um, <laughs> and I, and I want to hear your, uh, your response. All right. So in, in the inevitable compare and contrast between Landon Donovan and Clint Dempsey, I always have said that if I had one World Cup game to win, I still want Landon Donovan on the field because I think he would he's much more clinical and I think he is and I know they have the same amount of goals but I just if I have to pick somebody I'm going to have Landon Donovan on the field for a World Cup game. If I have a pickup game that I have to win and we're playing for pink slips or whatever what, what do you call the uh, the cards for uh, ownership of a car whatever. Uh, if you if you if you're doing something like that uh, then I'm going to pick Clint Dempsey. And certainly if I'm getting into a bar fight I want Clint Dempsey uh, Clint Dempsey behind me. So I still, I would guess I would fall on the Landon Donovan side if I have to pick one. What's your top five? And let's let's keep it to outfield players because I have a yes. hard time contextualizing goalkeepers. I know the Friedels and Howards and Kellers are greats, but so if we kept it to outfield players, like who who, who merits 
a place there along right behind those two. I think there's Landon. I think there's Clint. I think there's uh, Tab Ramos. I think that there is a guy like Claudio Reyna. Then it gets then it gets interesting. Let's see who who am I missing here? Yeah, uh, there's a name you're leaving out that you might hear about afterwards. He might send you an angry text. Winalda? <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> no, I love Eric, but he's not he's not there in my top five. Well, maybe he is since I can't come up with a number five. And uh, probably goalkeepers would pull uh, would would fall into that if. Uh, uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll think about it. I'll get it, I'll get it for you next week, all right? I'll get you number five for next week. But those are the types of players. And, and in no necessarily particular order other than I think that Lannon is number one. There you you think so? What you do, if you have to pick between Lannon and Clint, let's get back uh, to this. I, uh, I, I, I lean Lannon as well. I think he was the more transcendent talent to me. Now, do you think those guys are just keeping the seat warm for Pulisic, or you're not a guy that thinks it's inevitable that 10 years from now Christian Pulisic will be... Well, here, so here's, here's one of the other things when you do this compare and contrast with uh, Landon Donovan and Clint Dempsey. And you know, Landon Donovan was anointed, okay? And yet he still lived up. And some people maybe believe that he didn't in terms of the European part of the equation that they wanted to have. But he was at a very young age burst on the scene he played in youth teams or youth national teams he was part of the united states soccer federation in terms of the development uh, and then burst on the scene in the world cup and never looked back and in my estimation became the greatest male american soccer player uh, ever to play the game arguably and i and i understand that you have clint dempsey on the other side who was never given anything uh, certainly at a younger age and took some time to develop so much so that he also went the pathway of college and that he had that firm and experience is part of his legacy and is part of his history. And he is a product of college soccer. And he has gone on to be arguably one of the greatest, uh, and for many people, the greatest American soccer player ever to the game. Now, there will be people in this inevitable conversation about college soccer and how it played a part in his development that will say it was in spite that he was successful in spite of his collegiate. And they will, they will extrapolate it out and say, he was, this, this is how good he was with college. Think if he had taken those four years and played in what he would have been. I recognize that that's, that's, that's one way to go, but we all take our different paths. And um, you know, some of them are different, some of them are, are very unique. Um, and each and every one of those, I think, leads us to wherever we are we are going to go especially to the level that we are going to get so i i i think you are underestimating the value of the experience on and off the field from a collegiate perspective uh, that the college experience played for clint it might be that clint dempsey in order to be arguably the greatest player ever to play the game needed those four years and needed that step and needed that twist and turn in that path in order to get where he got now back to Pulisic, uh, how much do you measure club versus country? If, if he plays for Barcelona, Real Madrid, plays in Champions League finals, scales heights at club level that no U.S. player ever did, but maybe doesn't have the numbers with the national team that Dempsey or Donovan did, doesn't maybe have the World Cup moments, would he still get that top slot? Or it's, it's got to be predominantly based on what you did with the national team? No, I think it's a combination of both. Right. If somebody has a great club career but doesn't bring it from an international perspective, especially for a team like the United States— yeah, you're going to get docked points in this inevitable, uh, uh, you know, gauging of where you where you fall. And I think that's that's okay. I mean, if if Christian Pulisic doesn't do things for the national team, I think that that would be a, a huge disappointment. But I think it's definitely going to, in my estimation, in the way that I look at him, affect how I put him up against others. Because theoretically, Christian Pulisic should be coming up at an age um, where the talent surrounding him is that much better. 
Uh, and certainly when we're going to talk about the U.S. men's national team uh, a little later in the, in the show here, but there's plenty of talent out there and there's plenty of opportunity to play with some guys that can help him from an international perspective. Um, so, yeah, I think I think it matters. You don't think it matters? No, absolutely. I think you're spot on there. So so in closing, uh, right now you go Donovan one, Dempsey two, and Eric Winalda somewhere way down farther. That's an interesting one. Maybe we'll do that for next week as we'll bring in our top ten from an American side. And, and you're right to, to put goalkeepers aside, not because look, they're goalkeepers. So, I mean, they're, they're a necessary <laughs> evil. We all know that. Uh, but I, I think we should put goalkeepers aside when we're talking about that because it is a specific type of, obviously, position, but also a, uh, a unique type of position that, that sometimes shades when we, when we talk about uh, players. All right, so I'll get my top 10 for you next week. That's, uh, that's something that we do. Anything else to say about Clint Dempsey? I, I will say, but, but just before we, uh, we sign off on this uh, subject here, I have a great appreciation, as I said in the State of the Union, for the way that he played and for the things that he did and the things uh, that he uh, that he tried. And I think that that is is why we are celebrating this because, as as an American soccer player, we grow up being told that we lack the imagination, we lack the creativity, and we lack the ability to do these things that we associate with the beautiful game, to have these moments, not even necessarily goals, but the, the, these, uh, these moments that have an audacity um, and, and a confidence and, yes, an arrogance, a beautiful arrogance that enable things to be done that we, that we, that we look at as magical. And Clint Dempsey, more than any American player uh, that I know of, embodied that. And that is, what I think, what, make, uh, what made him unique. Once again, I'll, I'll mention, I don't know what Clint Dempsey is going to do. Can you see Clint Dempsey doing media, for example? Clint Dempsey was the worst interview ever. And he, he knows that. And it was, it was by design. But, but by the way, my, my, my good friend Taylor Twelman, my, uh, my uh, uh, friend from over there at ESPN, he was horrible, too, at media before. So you never know what's going to, what's going to happen. I will look forward to seeing what Clint Dempsey is going to be, uh, to be and what his next chapter in his life is. Because as I always say, while, while a career can define you to a certain extent and can be an incredibly important moment in your life, it's also a very small part of your life. Clint Dempsey has the rest of his life to live. Uh, thankfully, from a health standpoint, we know he had that health scare a couple of years ago. You know, he's, by all accounts, he's got, he's got a great family, and he certainly has made plenty of money. But I am so interested to see what Clint Dempsey becomes going forward. And I guess more importantly, how much he is part of American soccer going forward, or, or how little. Because it always fascinates me, once that small part of your life comes to a close, uh, what how much of it do you take and use going forward, or do you just say that chapter is completely closed and you go a, a different direction? I don't know with Clint Dempsey, but regardless, he left us with wonderful memories, uh, great moments, uh, and he is somebody to, uh, to be admired by, as I said, uh, this generation and future generations when they look back. So thank you so much uh, to Clint Dempsey for everything that you have done. All right, moving on. Mossy makes the case. All right. Yes, it's that time again. The time when my friend David Mossy makes the case. All right, Mossy, what are you talking about this week? My case is that the Champions League is headed back in the right direction. The group stage draw occurred late last week. As you know, Europe's uh, big clubs were able to use the threat of a Super League to pressure UEFA into tweaking the entry list. 
the top four leagues according to the coefficient. La Liga, the Premier League, Bundesliga, and Serie A are now each guaranteed four teams in the group stage. So 16 of the 32 teams come from those four leagues. Then you throw in your three French teams, PSG, Lyon, and Monaco. Uh, Porto and Benfica are both in it this year. Ajax and PSV are both in it. So it felt to me like a more star-studded field than in recent years. Now, whether that translated into a sexier draw was a source of debate within the Mossy family. Uh, It felt that way to me as I was watching. I sent out a tweet to that effect. But when I spoke to my dad, he kind of pushed back against that. He said, you're overrating this team. You're overrating that team. It's not that big a difference. And he might be right. But to me, there is a subtle difference. And I think it's for the better. A team like Inter Milan, which finished fourth in Serie A last season, would not have been in the Champions League in recent years. They're in it this season. And call me an elitist, but I'd rather have Inter Milan in there than an Apoel. Uh, last season, Liverpool finished fourth in the Premier League and Hoffenheim, who finished fourth in the Bundesliga, had to play in the playoff round for one spot. The equivalent of that this season would have been if Liverpool and Dortmund had to play in the playoff round and one of those teams not get in. And I'd rather have both those teams in than like a Slovan Bratislava. So I know when Michel Platini was in charge, he was all about parity and helping the little guy. And, and I get that, but I think he went too far in that direction. So to me, this is a proper correction the other way. I like the entry list the way it is now. I like this draw. I think it sets up a very compelling group stage, which I'm very much looking forward to. Uh, so before we dissect the groups, any thought okay, about Okay, so I just want to make sure I understand this. So you are just, you, you are okay uh, and you're accepting of the compromise. Do you still believe that uh, a Super League would be better? Uh, it's a question I've wrestled with. Uh, uh, now, I, I'm a traditionalist at heart. I still, I still think the way things are is a way to go. But, but I, I like this as a compromise. Let's get more big clubs in the Champions League, add a little bit more glitz and glamour there. Uh, okay. Well, then, uh, then I'm going to hold your feet to the fire here, and I'm going to have you tell me which teams you don't think should be there. Either just either because not because they don't deserve. I mean, the groups are made, and obviously people made it to the groups. But when I look at these groups, are there teams out here? Well, first, I'm going to ask you who's going through, and then I'm going to ask you who do you don't think should be there, who just doesn't excite you and is not sexy and wouldn't be involved, right? No, listen, I, I think there, there has to be some element of charm and Cinderella, and you, you do have to give some slots to these lesser leagues. So, I'm, I, yeah, there's a handful of teams in there, the, the Young Boys and Club Bruges and Victoria Pilsens that obviously don't excite me, but I don't think it should be all big clubs from why? big leagues. Why? I, don't you just want, why don't we just have all—I mean, let's be honest, people don't pay attention until— probably the group stage anyway, and some even until after the group stage when it comes to change. So you think they should go even farther and give more slots to the big leagues and, and just eliminate any element? No, of I'm, just, I'm just piggybacking on your, on, your, uh, on your case that you're making about how don't ask me to care about teams that aren't sexy, that don't have big <laughs> names, uh, that we know ultimately aren't going to be there. Everybody loves a Cinderella story, but the only reason that they love a Cinderella story is because of the Cinderella story. You, got, you know, if, if you come... And you go out, there's no Cinderella story, and nobody cares. And nobody cared about it initially. The only reason they cared about it is because you actually did something that people didn't think was going to happen. All right, enough of that. All right, Group A, Atletico Madrid, Club Rouge, Borussia Dortmund, and Monaco. Do they all deserve to be in there, Mr. Mossy? Not deserve. Would you have them all in there? Is sure. anybody you would get out? You just like said, I said Club Rouge. The, the way it Bruges. is now, I'm fine with. So this is going to be a pointless right, exercise. But you don't like Club Rouge, all right? Every team you say, I'm going to say, is I'm fine with it being in there. No, the, you the, can't do that. The big, the big, the proverbial, before you go through all these, the proverbial group of death debate is between groups B and C. So I do want to have that with you. Hold on, we'll get so, there. So, all right, who's coming out? Atletico, Bruges, uh, Dortmund, and Monaco. I'll say Atletico and Dortmund. Really? Yeah. Okay, because you don't like Bruges. As a matter of fact, you don't like Belgium. You don't like Belgians. I definitely don't like Belgium right now. All right, all right. All right. Uh, group B, Spurs, Barcelona, Eindhoven, uh, or PSV, and uh, Inter. 
That's some group, by the way. You yeah. just you just read it like it was you know n- no nothing special. That is uh, Barcelona, Tottenham, PSV, and Inter. Yeah, I mean that is, that's my group of death, by the way. I think that just shades Group C, which you're going to get to, but top to bottom there. Even PSV are frisky with Irving Lozano, but uh, frisky uh, enough to come out. No, I think it'll be Barcelona and Spurs. And, and yeah, I lean Spurs. No, no, Spurs isn't coming out. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. I, I think they're frisky enough. Uh, PSV is frisky enough. Or Inter. Inter. You're right. That is a difficult group. That's yeah. diff- uh, Napoli, Liverpool, PSG, and uh, Red Star. Tremendous group. Um, I, I think PSG and Liverpool come out. I haven't liked what I've seen from Napoli under Ancelotti so far this season. Do you care about Red Star Belgrade? No. Listen, they've won this competition before. They, you know, they, they have some history, but, but no, I mean, they're clearly roadkill in this group. <laughs> but they shouldn't even be there anyway, according to your theory, uh, uh, because they're not sexy and nobody cares about them anyway. So they're, go- they're gone. Well, who, so who do you have coming out? Liverpool and PSG? PSG and Liverpool. Okay. Uh, group D, Porto, Galatasaray, uh, Lokomotiv, Moscow, and Schalke. By the way, Schalke looked horrible, horrible again over the weekend, yeah, huh? Yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah, interesting one. This is uh, this is a bit of an odd group. Uh, I think Porto come out of it. I, I'm not sure what other team I'm going to give you. I guess I'll ride for the Bundesliga and say Schalke, but I don't feel good about it. You don't think the Turks are going to find a way? Okay, all right. I don't know, man. They 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 looked bad. Weston yeah. McKinney is playing, and he's playing a bunch of different positions. But regardless, from a team perspective, they uh, they, they got to get their act together. Uh, Bayern uh, Bayern Munich. Ajax, Ike from uh, Athens, and Benfica, Group E. So that's how you pronounce it? You would know. You're Greek. Yeah, it, we always pronounce it. You don't say so, A-E-K, you say Ike? I say Ike because that's how I grew up. Uh, my father was an Ike fan, um, and so because that was yellow. Uh, I was an Olympiakos fan because that was red, and my brother was Panathinaikos because it was green. So we picked based on colors. So uh, I am uh, I am very high on Ajax this season. I, they made some good moves, getting Tadic and Danny Blind. I'm sorry, Daily Blind. Danny Blind is the father. Um, <laughs> uh, my my boy uh, David Neri is, is playing well. He's playing more centrally now, which which is interesting. Uh, so in a in a minor surprise, I guess I'll pick Bayern and Ajax and not Benfica. No, Benfica not going through. All right. Um, group F: Lyon, Shakhtar Donetsk, uh, who I know you probably hate too, and they shouldn't even be there, and we shouldn't even watch them. Uh, Hoffenheim and Man City. Uh, you are aware, like half of Shakhtar's team is Brazilian, so that's it. That's Doesn't a, matter. It's, it's so uh, I like Manchester City and Lyon, who who got Musa Dembele from Celtic, which was to replace Mariano, which was a so despite the move. Brazilian influence, you don't think that Shakhtar is going to do anything? No, they've actually sold. Uh, they lost Fred and Bernard, so two of their better Brazilians left. Um, so all know. right, uh, Group G: CSK Moscow, Real Madrid, Roma, and Victoria Pisen. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Sure. Pisen. Uh, what do you? What do you? How do you pronounce it? I'm not sure to me. <laughs> um, I, I, Real Madrid and Roma will come through from that group. Uh, Real Madrid and Roma. No, CSK Moscow. Okay. And then the final group, Group H, Juventus, Young Boys, Manchester United, and Valencia. Ooh. Let me tell you something right now. Uh, Valencia are very dangerous. United better get their act together. I mean, gun to my head, I'll go Juve and United, but I like this Valencia team. They're not off to a great start in La Liga, but I, I think they'll play well in the Champions League. I love their coach, Marcelino. They had a good summer. They held on to Rodrigo and Parejo. They brought back Gonzalo Guedes. They added guys like Batshuayi and Gamero and Cherishev. Uh, so they're going to be very dangerous in that group. That would be, I think, C and uh, B and C are the best groups, but you could throw Group H into that discussion too with Juve, United, and Valencia. And, and by the way, there's a, there's a debate about, I was having with people about what the single best fixture in the group stage is. Let me give you the three I'm most excited okay. about. 
Uh, you've got Liverpool, PSG at Anfield, match day one. You've got Tottenham, Barcelona at Wembley, match day two. By the way, uh, Spurs Stadium will definitely not be ready for that uh, game, but they're hoping to have it ready for their other two home games. But that one will be at Messi at Wembley. That's going to be great. And then you have uh, Manchester United, Juventus. I believe that's match day three at Old Trafford. Ronaldo coming back to his old home. Uh, of those three games, if you could only watch one of them, which one would you pick? Ronaldo going to Manchester United. And then, incidentally, match day four, they made me to get in turn. That's Paul Pogba going back yep. to face his former team. I would pick Liverpool PSG at Anfield. I'm a sucker for European nights at Anfield. And to me, that's just going to be such an exciting game with all the star power, Salah, Mane, all that. And then on the other side, Neymar and Mbappe. And by the way, there's no love lost between Klopp and Tuchel. They don't get along. So that's another element of that game. So I'm very excited. In fact... I may or may not have even looked up flights, uh, but I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, I'm going to try to get out to Europe for, for some game in this group stage, but it's not going to be that one. The fact that it was match day one kind of screwed me. It's kind of too soon to get that together. But All right. So to sum up, uh, you are, uh, you're okay with the changes that were made. You think it's made the tournament better yes. uh, and, and much more sexy, if you will. Uh, but you still have some problems with certain teams, including, let's, let's say, for example, young, bo- young boys. So you don't like uh, Swiss teams or Switzerland, for that matter, or, or Swiss people, probably. Uh, you don't like, uh, let's see, you don't like Czech teams because you can't even pronounce the, the, the name of the team that's in it with Victoria, Victoria Pizzan. And then we talked about your uh, hatred for all things Belgium uh, when it comes to Club Bruges, right? Correct. Two more notes. Uh, UEFA did announce they're going to introduce VAR to the Champions League and the Europa League, not this season, the season after, 2019-20, which I know some people were disappointed. Why not now? Mm -hmm. But to me, this is a win because when Platini was in charge, UEFA was staunchly against this. So the fact that they're doing it at all is is a step in the right direction. And that's going to leave the Premier League on an island uh, come next season. I also also agree that that's the right thing to do. When when MLS implemented uh, VAR mid-season, it was. Uh, I know why they did it because they could only legally do it at that point, and and, and that's that was something that a uh, decision they made. But the reality is that a VAR game is different than a non-VAR game. The way that you play a VAR game is different than the way you play a non-VAR game. And so to have it come in mid-season, I think changes the game to the extent that there are competitive uh, advantages and disadvantages that you are injecting into a tournament that should be from start to finish played on the same level playing field by all teams going forward. Because there was even talk about having them possibly have it just for the final right. or, or just for the semifinal, stuff like that. So I think that this was smart to wait until the end. And just one note on Europa, because I got asked this on Twitter, uh, Leipzig and Salzburg ended up in the same group. I know there was a thought a couple of years ago that those two teams couldn't be in the same competition because they're both owned by Red Bull. Red Bull was able to demonstrate that they don't technically own Salzburg. They just sponsor them. So it's okay. They actually both ended up in the Europa League group stage last season. They almost played each other. Now they will play each other in the group stage, which is going to be fascinating, by the way, because Salzburg fans really resent the fact that uh, Red Bull have put all their eggs in the Leipzig basket. They've been forced to hand over some of their best players like Nabi Keita to Leipzig in recent years. So there's a bit of a rivalry there. Uh, They're in the same group as Celtic. So that's an interesting group. The Europa's got some juice this year. You've got Steven Gerrard's Rangers in a group. You've got Arsenal and Chelsea, Leverkusen and Leipzig, Sevilla, Villarreal. Betis are in the same group as AC Milan. Those are going to be fun games. So I'm actually looking forward to Europa as well. Just to touch on that, and not to go too far down this uh, this path, but this is this is this is a problem uh, when you have you know conglomerates and and uh, and owners that own multiple teams, and it, there's a business aspect to it. 
everybody's going to, nobody wants to be a feeder team. Nobody wants to be the farm team for the mothership. And so whether it's Red Bull or whether it's Manchester City and, and these types of things, as the fan base gets bigger, as uh, people expect more and more, there's going to be more and more situations where you have a fan base saying, hey, we don't want to be uh, the redhead stepchild of, and I can say that because I'm redhead, um, and, and to all the redhead stepchildren out there, I love you all uh, for your mutant gene. But they don't want to be viewed like that from this mothership out there. And it's going to be a problem. We saw Jesse Marsh leave uh, Red Bulls. We saw, you know, possibly Tyler, Adam, Tyler Actually, Adams. Actually, reports in the future. today that he's going there Is there? In January. There's reports today. So while it's, it's good in a certain sense, there's going to be some problems going forward because nobody wants to be that, uh, that, that team that's constantly giving away their talent to somebody else. But in essence, that's what they were designed to do. Well, see, anything else on this subject? No, that's it. All right, I think we've gone through uh, Champions League and what to expect going forward. Once again, if you are of uh, Czech descent uh, or Belgian uh, or Swiss, feel free to uh, tweet or uh, text David Mossy with any complaints uh, going forward. All right, moving on. Ask Alexi. All right, time for Ask Alexi, that portion of the podcast where we answer some questions or respond to comments, concerns out there uh, that you have attached the Ask Alexi hashtag to. And, and going forward, please, please use that hashtag uh, when you are uh, sending us your comments and your questions. And who knows, maybe someday uh, you will have the privilege of having David Mossy read your question or comment on air like he is about to do right now for uh, three lucky people. All right, first up, at Tai Tai Mighty. Odds of the women repeating at the World Cup. Uh, I'm going to assume he means the U.S. women. I would assume so, I can so, guarantee yes. you women will win the women's World Cup. <laughs> it's, it's almost assured yeah. that, uh, that women will win, the US, or will win the World Cup next summer in France, uh, something that you can, by the way, see on, uh, on Fox. So we're looking forward to that next summer. Odds. Okay, I'm going to give it a 71.3% chance that the U.S. women win the World Cup next summer. Uh, that might change over the next year. I actually was uh, privileged, speaking of privilege, I was uh, privileged to go down and watch a training session the other day because the U.S. women with Jill Ellis uh, at the helm were training at the uh, StubHub Center here in Los Angeles, uh, getting ready for their, uh, their next couple of games. And it was really, really interesting because this is a women's national team that has recognized that they can't rest on their laurels, and they can't stand on the fact that they are the defending world champs, um, and with a 20-year head start, uh, maybe even more so when it comes to other countries. And they recognize that the rest of the world is catching up, and the rest of the world is spending more resources and paying much more attention to their women's programs and to their women's uh, professional leagues out there. And so Jill Ellis's charge, I think, since Vancouver has been to get that turnover, to get out players that just aren't going to be there, and to try to integrate a whole lot of talent that is, uh, that is out there. And so, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, Alyssa Nair and Goal, uh, who I think is going to be the number one going forward, and she's been around for a while, but we know uh, goalkeepers uh, come on much, much later. And then you have the, the stalwarts when it comes to uh, Becky Sobrin, uh or Julie Ertz, who I think we saw star in the World Cup in Vancouver as a center back, but I think she's going to star in this next World Cup as a defensive midfield and really uh, has come along nicely playing in that midfield position. Uh, that's huge. And then you got younger players like uh, Rose Lavelle, you know, the, these types of players that uh, 
that are going to come on and and use the World Cup as a platform. And of course, you have your Alex Morgans and your Megan Rapinos and these types of players that that are going to be there. Tobin Heath, speaking of. Uh, Comparisons to Clint Dempsey, I think Tobin Heath would be the closest uh, women's version of Clint Dempsey because she, like Clint Dempsey, tries shit, and uh, we love her for it, and we would love to see uh, when she does that. But ultimately, I think people like Carly Lloyd, who starred last World Cup, I think she's going to have a t- hard time actually getting on the field. So uh, that's that's just a long way of saying uh, you got a lot of teams that are gunning for the U.S. I think this might be the most difficult road um, from a World Cup perspective, to win a World Cup that the U.S. has ever faced. And yet, if they do, it will be the most satisfying and probably should be the most celebrated, uh, given the way that the other teams have uh, improved over the years. Next up, at Brendan Byrne, if it's clear Manchester United is out of the Premier League title race early in the year, parentheses, by October slash November. Do you think Mourinho will put all of his eggs in the UCL basket like Madrid did last year, conceding La Liga towards the end to Barca? Does that mean possibly falling out of the top four? I mean, I was going to say, the issue, Brendan, is not the title. It's top four. Real Madrid can afford to take their eye off La Liga, and there's no threat of them not finishing in the top four. If they were in danger of that last season, they would have had to play hard in La Liga. United can't take their eye off the ball in the Premier League. They will drop out of the top four. I will say, if they struggled enough in the Premier League where they got to a point late in the season where Mourinho thought they had no chance to finish in the top four, then, of course, he'd emphasize the Champions League. There's a precedent two seasons ago he emphasized the Europa League over the Premier League, so you just have to see how things play out. Does the does the champion of the Champions League get an automatic bid? Yes. Right. Okay. So I mean, and that's what happened a few years ago when when it came to Europa. But so the answer, <laughs> what are we telling Brendan here in terms of our answer? Well, it's an interesting question, but he just should have framed it as top four instead of title. Uh, that being out of the title race wouldn't necessarily trigger that. He's gonna it's gonna have to be. He was out of the they, title race last year. Yeah, where they are in relation to top four and where they are in Europe, and then he's got to juggle late in the season what to emphasize. It'll be based on that. Alex Dowd is smiling. His Chelsea team, 2011-2012, finished sixth Flying. in the Premier League and won the Champions League. That's how they got in at the following year. And, and they actually bumped out Tottenham, and Brad Friedel was on our desk covering that Champions League final. So we got his instant reaction to finding out that his Tottenham got bumped out of the Champions League. It was great television. There's, there's no better television than somebody's misery uh, <laughs> in, on live. Uh, we always say that. Okay. Uh, so, yeah. So I think... That I don't think he can do it in the same way that he did it with uh, the Europa a few years ago. Uh, he's got, to be quite honest, right now, immediate and, <laughs> and current problems that he is dealing with uh, with this team. And in true Jose Mourinho fashion, he is providing us with content each and every day with the things that he says, his reactions. This is classic Jose. This is this is who he is. Uh, as many people hate him as as love him, but to ask him to be anything else, I think, is uh, delusional. You were you were contemplating as Jose Mourinho stated the union this week. Eventually, Dempsey won out, but I think we should look for that in the next couple of weeks, probably. Right? Definitely, and certainly, if it continues to go awry when it comes to the way that uh, that team is functioning, it will be uh, it will be interesting to see uh, what happens with Jose Mourinho. He's uh, look, he, uh, a world in terms of soccer with Jose Mourinho in it is better than one without it, despite the the frustration and the irritation that he causes for so many out there. All right, what else? All right. At JST Believe asked a question that I think is very poorly worded, so I'm going to ask it the way I think it well, should be Well, you edit worded. it. I mean, you're, you're the yeah. wordsmith over there, so edit it for him. Are you of the belief that young players, young kids growing up, 
uh, should only play soccer to right. improve their game or should play other sports as well? So we've talked about specialization. Uh, this, this is not a concept. It's just a, 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 an obvious idea that the more you do something, the better off you're going to be. And certainly, traditionally, when it comes to American sports, uh, we have generations now that have grown up playing multiple sports, either because that's what they're mom and dad did, uh, or it's based on geography or whatever it ends up being. I grew up playing multiple sports. I think that I was a better soccer player for having, uh, in, in my case, it was hockey in my life. Um, and that transition, seasonal transition from one sport to the other. Would I have been better if I completely concentrate, and believe me, I played a lot of soccer, so don't get me wrong. It's not as if I just stopped and never played soccer again. And as, and as a matter of fact, in the winter when I was playing hockey, I was also playing indoor soccer and doing that kind of stuff. But I do feel that you benefit from a physical standpoint and from a mental standpoint in terms of the movement that other sports require and the different way of thinking about you and spatial relationships and all, and all that kind of stuff. So I, I have yet to meet a great American soccer player who has not uh, had other sports in his or her life. There are very few, uh, I will say, that specialized. Now, it's much more so, uh, much more common now because... 10,000 hours and all, all this kind of stuff that we talk about. But I still believe that it can be beneficial in the long term uh, to play multiple sports at a young age. There'll come a point where you're, if you're really, really good, you're going to veer off and that's what you're going to concentrate on. But until you get to that point, I think that the different experiences, the different coaching, the different philosophies, the different history, the different teammates, uh, the different environments that you put into, I think are beneficial. You have two kids, right? I do. If one of them exhibited at a young age this incredible talent for a given sport, you would not go the Richard Williams or uh, Todd Marinovich's crazy dad, whatever his name was, route. Uh, you would still want them to, to play all different sports, have a normal childhood. It wouldn't be one of those practice eight hours a day, this one sport, and let's try to cultivate this talent. Well, first off, you have to know your children, okay? Right. And you have to understand what, what makes them tick. There are some that... Uh, that can do that and just want and just are sponges and that's all that they want to do and that's that's all fine and well I'll just tell you that once again you're 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 looking at it as a means to an end to be a professional player okay and that's I, I understand that's what happens but that's what you have to guard against we all know the percentages when it comes to how many players actually uh, are able to get to that the top of the mountain and if that's your goal as an eight-year-old or, or four-year eight-year-old, then I, I think I think you're I think you're missing the boat uh, in terms of what prof what not professional what sports at a young age need to be. For me, all I care about number one is that they are enjoying it and they want to do it. I never want to pressure them into doing a sport, and certainly having a, a father who is heavily involved in soccer. Uh, one could say it predisposes them uh, to it. I never, and I constantly tell them this, they in no way have to play soccer, in no way have to like soccer, uh, certainly no way have to watch soccer in, in, the way that, uh, in the way that I do. It doesn't hurt my feelings. It's not something that, uh, that, that I would ever, for, uh, ever force on them. But if they show an affinity and a love for something, just anything, whether it's you know, dancing or writing or, or music or, or sports or something like that, I'll do everything in my power to give them the opportunity to do the things uh, that they love. But the moment that it becomes a burden, and I'm not talking about 
the moment it becomes hard. There's a difference. There's a difference between the moment something becomes difficult and the moment something becomes a burden for a child. Uh, and understanding that difference, I think, is, is crucial going forward. But, you know, the specialization is, is happening. I guess it's a, a natural type of progression. But it's all based on not even necessarily the kids. And for the most part, the parents wanting something at the end of that line. And whether it's a, a college scholarship, which I get, I understand, you do what you, can, uh, what you have to do in order to give your kid the best possible chance of success, and going to college can do that. And if they have a better chance of going to college uh, and being able to pay for college by uh, an athletic scholarship, uh, you need to do the things in order to make that happen. That's great. But we're, we are producing the... the men and women that are going to lead our country as human beings, okay? <laughs> we are not producing the future professional soccer players. At least that's not the way that we should go about it, especially at a young age when it comes to, uh, to sports. That is it. All right. Uh, once again, use that Ask Alexi hashtag when you are sending us your comments and questions and concerns, uh, either through Twitter uh, or through Facebook, or if you see us walking down the street, just preface your conversation with, uh, with David with an Ask Alexi hashtag, and then in the future, uh, you might be on the State of the Union podcast. All right, moving on. The Back Three. All right, we're coming to the end of our show. The Back Three is up, Mossy, that uh, point of the... Uh, podcast where we can look at some big stories, some games, some moments. What uh, does our back three have for us uh, this week? First up, the U.S. Uh, men's national team faces Brazil in a friendly Friday uh, that's uh, live on FS1. Uh, the U.S. finally this past weekend named its squad for that game. Any thoughts? So looking through it, and if you haven't uh, seen it, I'm not going to read all of the, all the names, but uh, when it comes to goalkeeping, uh, Zach Steffen is, for my money, the, the number one, uh, the Columbus Crew goalkeeper. Ethan Horvath and Alex Bono, who are both, ironically, not starting for their team, which is interesting because one of the reasons that Dave Sarikins uh, gave for not calling in Josh Sargent, uh, but calling in uh, Timothy Weah was because Timothy Weah is with the first team and, do, and uh, getting some minutes and all that kind of stuff. So uh, once again, a, a national team is not about what you deserve. A national team is not a meritocracy. It's about what an individual, a human being feels is going to enable him or her to do their job better. And so with that in mind, we look at this uh, this list that Dave Sarakin, the interim manager right now, has put together. I like it. I think it represents a refreshing and a change that is needed, and I think a change that is being demanded right now in terms of how this team plays, obviously, but who is involved in this team going forward. And so when you talk about experience, you're talking about a DeAndre Yedlin. You're talking about a John Brooks. But you're also talking about guys coming in like Aaron Long from the New York Red Bulls. Uh, Tim Parker also from the New York Red Bulls. Matt Miazga, who continues with not on loan from Chelsea. Uh, then when you look at the, uh, the midfield, Weston McKinney is going to uh, lead the way when it comes to new, young, fresh talent. Sebastian Legette gets back in. Timothy Weah, I mentioned, uh, getting some time over there at PSG, which is important. Christian Roldan coming in from uh, the Seattle Sounders. So I think it's a solid uh, midfield core there. Tyler Adams, who I think is going to be very, very important going forward for this group. But then up top, uh, we mentioned yesterday on the, our Bundesliga coverage, so this is a team that's going to play uh, on Friday against Brazil. 
uh, we will uh, be broadcasting that, so you can tune into uh, Fox, and we will give you that uh, that game Friday night from uh, New Jersey. Right? What's the name of that stadium? There, MetLife Stadium. MetLife Stadium. So Dave Serkin has brought in Bobby Wood, Jassy Zardes, and uh, Novakovic, the twenty-one-year-old uh, uh, playing over there in Holland. Brazil has, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Neymar, Coutinho, and Firmino, right? As, uh, correct. As, as some of the attacking options. A little bit of difference there. Bobby Wood, with the national team, I think is money because he has more opportunity. I think it, it plays to his strengths. Jossie Zardes has had a rejuvenation in, uh, in, for the Columbus group. But keep in mind, Jossie Zardes has been around for a while. It was a point where he had the most minutes played of any national teamer uh, a few years ago when it came to the, uh, the U.S., so I think it's a little bit thin up top. But once again, keep in mind, this, this, this is a roster that doesn't have some of those players like Josie Altidore uh, and Michael Bradley. I think that this roster represents what I'm going to call the uh, bathwater theory in that uh, there, there, is, there is a moment when, yes, you do throw the baby out with the bathwater. And this is that seminal moment when we want this new group of players to take ownership and say not on my watch to uh, understand that they have a great opportunity and a responsibility going forward. And a lot of this is looking not just to 2022, but also to the Olympic team coming up. So all in all, uh, I'm happy with this, uh, with, with this roster. I will be interested to see, more importantly, who the coach is at a certain point, because it's going to be more than a year. And I have no inside information, but the fact that, no, that they have not decided yet, and the fact that, by all indications, they're not going to decide until the end of the MLS season, that, that says to me that someone like Greg Berhalter, who is in the mix, I have no inside information, but a guy like Greg Berhalter, if he's the guy that Ernie Stewart is going to pick, with what is going on in Columbus, and we talked about Columbus last week, maybe they didn't want to pour gas on that fire where Columbus moves to Austin and Greg Berhalter goes, uh, goes to the national team. And from a Greg Berhalter perspective, he wanted to concentrate on doing the best he possibly could with Columbus until the end of the year and then move on uh, to the national team. If that's the case, I do hope that Greg Berhalter, if he is the guy, was being consulted on this list from, uh, from Ernie Stewart. Because right now we have Dave Sarakin, who, kudos to Dave Sarakin, by the way, leading this team for this last year. Uh, and this is a guy, I think, who is done some really good things in a very difficult situation. I think he's helped his resume and the way that we look at Dave Sarakin. And I will be really interested to see what happens with Dave Sarakin once the head coach is named and, uh, and Dave's looking for, uh, for that job. I, I, I would love to see him in a head coaching capacity going forward. Uh, U.S. also plays Mexico a few days later. So this yes. is a squad for both those games. A couple of Brazil notes. The squad was originally 24. It's down to 23. Renato Augusto is asked out for personal reasons. And there have been two injury changes. Pedro, a striker, for Fluminense out, Richarlison replaces him. And then in just devastating news, um, <laughs> Fogner uh, had to Your pull out. Your favorite player in Brazilian And, and by the way, I would not celebrate if it was a serious injury. It's a muscle injury. He's out a couple of weeks. So, um, but uh, he's out, and he called up uh, Ede Militão, who was this young player I like a lot. Actually started, made his debut for Porto this past weekend, played center back. But he was a right back for Sao Paulo. That's where he's going to play for the national team. And very happy with that call to me. He should have been in the list to begin with. So... All right, so uh, you know we, the the U.S. men's national team just continues on without a coach. You gotta, Do you have an some? issue? I mean, they've lined up some incredibly tough games here: Brazil, Mexico, Colombia, England, Italy before the end it's of the great. year. And so you're fine with that, even I'm with great no with coach. The competition. I'm not great with the fact that there's no coach because no coach and this young roster. This, is this until you get this coach in he or she is going to come in and may have a completely different idea <laughs> about how they're going to play. 
uh, or, or what they want to do. Ernie Stewart should be the one ultimately naming this coach. And I know they're, they're going to say it's going to be by committee. But if your technical director, sorry, your, your GM that you've just anointed and created a position for isn't picking the person that, that he thinks is going to implement their vision, then there's a problem. I know that they wanted to, to, to spread it around. And, and part of the problem they thought, thought was it was all too individual and there wasn't enough uh, there, there wasn't enough communication. There wasn't enough understanding about how they were going to, to pick it. But come on, come on. All right, so we're looking at the, this team right now, but you mentioned the, the quality of, of uh, opponents that they're playing. Making the World Cup from a men's perspective is no longer something to celebrate. It's an expectation, okay? And to be quite honest, getting out of your group in a World Cup is no longer something to celebrate. It is an expectation, notwithstanding the failure this past summer of not even being in the World Cup and not qualifying. What we want, and I'm going to speak for as many people as I possibly can, is we want to be assured and have a confidence that we are going to compete against the elites of the world, because that's... That's the goal. The goal is winning a World Cup. Well, in order to win a World Cup, you have to be able to beat on a consistent basis or at least be competitive on a continual basis with the Brazils of the world, with the Germanys of the world, uh, with, the, with the Belgiums of the world, with the Frances of the world. And unless you're playing them and you're blooding these, this new group of players, you're not, going to, you're, not, you're not going to get the experience that ultimately is going to enable us to win a World Cup. So I, I, I applaud and commend the United States Soccer Federation for what they have done in scheduling uh, these games. But once again, without that coach in place, it, that, it leaves something to be desired. Don't get me wrong. I'm going to analyze the hell out of this game, and I'm going to be in, uh, in New Jersey this week, and I can't wait to see a United States team play post-World Cup, post that failure, and to kind of get this show on the road. But it really can't fully get on the road until they name a coach. All right, next up, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. Zero goals in three games for Juventus despite taking 23 shots. I thought he played pretty well this past weekend again against Parma, but uh, still, he has not found the back of the net yet. It's, it's only three games. Do you think it's uh, too early to draw any conclusions here? Or, or... Keep in mind, uh, Serie A folk are, are like puffing their chest, saying this shows how much tougher Serie A is. He only scored one goal in his first eight La Liga games last season and then got going. So maybe at this point in his career, he's just kind of a slow starter. It takes him some time to get going. So what do you make of it? I think there's a whole other Ronaldo subplot I want to get to, but first okay. I want to get your take on yeah, this. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't worry me or bother me. They're still winning. Okay, By all accounts, he's not the reason that anything is going poorly. And by all accounts... There's nobody sitting and waiting in the wings that could do a that could do a better job. So I, I have no problem with this. You mentioned uh, that this is not something necessarily new. I mean, look, this is a this is not only a new team. This is a new culture, a new language, on and off the field. It's going to take a little time to figure it out. Even for one of the greatest players ever to play the game, I have uh, I have I have no problem with the fact uh, that he is not scoring because ultimately he just turns to the scoreboard and says. We got we got three points. He's going to want to score because he's got an ego like any goal scorer, and the, the goals the goals will come. But if if you're not scoring, or even if you make a mistake on the field, but your team wins, that usually trumps everything. Uh, speaking of making mistakes and, and winning, uh, your Brazilian friend over there in um, Alisson. Alisson, yeah, 
He had an interesting uh, move this past week. Right? Which, of course, all these meathead analysts in England now are taking this as an occasion to bash the whole concept of like playing out of the back and goalkeepers using their feet, which is so ridiculous. I mean, it, how you could watch like Manuel Neuer play the last few years or even Ederson last season or even Liverpool's first three games this season and not see the value of having a goalkeeper that's good with the ball with his feet and a good passer. But you, you still have these like old school meathead guys in England it's, that think it, it's ridiculous. Yeah, that does drive me nuts. And it's not, it's not limited to England. So uh, you can add that to the list now of people that you hate, right? <laughs> it's, it's not limited to England. It's, it's a lack of recognition and appreciation for the fact that this game is about risk and assigning risk to different moments in the game, assigning risk to different places in the game. The, the, I think the beauty of the game is those coaches that tell, whether it's defenders or in this case a goalkeeper, I want you in this moment to do something that you might feel is more risky than uh, for other coaches or for other teams that you play. I love the fact with the recognition that there's going to come a point where it's not going to work out well. And there might come a point where we are hurt by it and hurt massively by it. But there is a romanticism behind it in that we are going to do it. Remember, what's, remember the, uh, the, the, the movie with Kevin Costner, the, the golf movie? What's the name of it? Tin, Tin Cup, Cup. Tin Cup, where he just kept hitting that same shot over sure. and over again. There was a beautiful part of that. And there was a romance to that because you, you can't say you have a philosophy. You can't say you have a style if at the very first sign of risk or problems uh, or challenge, you deviate from it. That's the, that's not a philosophy. You have to stand by what you believe in, and you, and, and you have to stand on principle. This is how we are going to play because we believe that, one, it's going to be more successful, and two, it's going to be more attractive, and that's something that we want to give to you. But it doesn't come without risk. So I know I digress a little bit right there, but you're right to immediately say that playing out of the back shouldn't be done. That is ridiculous. The whole point of it is that you are finding a different way to play because you believe in it. And yes, it has risk. And yes, at a certain point, uh, you are going to pay the price for doing that. But I believe that ultimately it's worth the, worth the price. So to get back to Ronaldo, uh, so we talked about the Champions League draw. Uh, UEFA gave out some awards. The most prestigious one was its UEFA Player of the Season. Yep. And Luka Modric won. Uh, Ronaldo didn't go to the ceremony, which was weird. And then his camp reacted very poorly. His agent, Georgia Mendes, said it was ridiculous, a disgrace. His sister went on Twitter and was taking shots at Modric. And so uh, <laughs> Ronaldo didn't say anything. But the fact that he didn't go and then along with those comments, it, he kind of got tainted with the whole thing as well. So it was a bad reaction. I mean, look, the, Messi and Ronaldo have to win every award. Like right. once in a while, we can't give something to someone else. And Modric is a guy that Ronaldo just played with for six years. So it would have been nice if there was a better reaction from Ronaldo in his camp. But still, I don't know if that's what influenced this, but this was the weekend when the Madrid media really decided to go after Ronaldo. They, they really celebrated his struggles in Italy. There were a lot of articles about it and juxtaposed it with Real Madrid. We're off to a flying start in La Liga. I saw a big headline, Benzema 5, Ronaldo 0, because Benzema already has five goals this season. I read a column in Marca that Madrid are finally a team of 11 again. It used to be 10 plus 1 because Ronaldo's such a big ego that everything had to be built around him. And now, like, the Bales and Benzema are freed by not having Ronaldo there, and are able to, and which I, I find completely hey, ridiculous. As Masi, as but, you know, as you know, uh, hell hath no fury like a woman <laughs> scorned, or a team scorned, or a uh, league scorned, or uh, in this case, a whole country scorned. I guess yeah. so. They're they're gonna they're gonna live it up right now. But be careful, be careful, because. Uh, 
at some point they're going to face Juventus, and uh, if he is scoring at that point, it could be problematic. And Real Madrid, they have looked good, but they've played Getafe, Girona, and Leganes so far. So thank let, God they got through. Let's, let's calm they, down a little thank bit. Thank God they got through. But yeah, what the else? whole, the what whole else? Madrid, Ronaldo. And uh, we should mention uh, Francis Silva staring at me there. FIFA announced uh, their... So the three finalists for this wafer oh, yeah, yeah, award yeah, 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 yeah. were Ronaldo, Salah, and Modric. Modric ended up winning. FIFA announced their three finalists for their FIFA Best Player Award, and it's the same three, which means no Messi, and that's uh, garnered a lot of headlines too. So that's happening that? in a few weeks in uh, London. I actually yes. got invited to it, but uh, I have to pass. It's just is that right? Uh, yeah. If you have a ticket, I, you know, uh, go ahead. No, I no no. I doesn't I, work that way. I, I just no, it works that way. I could have taken you, but you know, <laughs> I mean, I said uh, I had to pass on that. So I got I got other stuff that I have to do. Uh, and speaking of siblings, uh, you have a, you have a sister, right? Brother. You have a brother. Yeah. So your brother uh, uh, would probably say stuff about you, too. So you, you can, I you hardly can't see him. He's a glorified cousin at this you point. <laughs> I do have a but you can't control anything that he says. I have a brother. You can't control anything. So Ronaldo's right. sister spouting off about him, uh, he can't control any, uh, any of that. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I'm sure at times he uses messengers out there to, to get it out. So uh, we'll see if he wins against uh, his arch enemy at this point, Luka Modric, in the uh, final three, right? Yeah, on the Messi thing, the, the only conclusion I would draw, obviously we all still think Messi's one of the three best players in the world, but in a, in a World Cup year, there's a emphasis on the World Cup. And also, we've talked about the, the elevated importance of the Champions League and how much domestic stuff has been diminished. So Barcelona going out in the quarterfinals, Argentina doing poorly in the World Cup, that's been held against them. You know, and, and FIFA, they did to differentiate from the Ballon d'Or, it's now like a seasonal award. It measures 12 months from like july to july while the ballon d'or which comes up later in the year is still like a calendar year award which i think lends itself more to people just picking who they think the best players sure. are when there's an emphasis on the season people really look at like the results and what your team did and all that so maybe that and the that perception of them. messi versus ronaldo in terms of the world cup you know while they both went out the perception of ronaldo was oh, sure, much yeah. more positive than certainly messi with our with argentina so uh to a certain extent it is a popularity contest uh which i know francis would say yes it's a popularity contest and that's why so why isn't messi there because he's one of the most popular uh, figures uh on the earth right now but uh you know maybe he's not as popular as francis and others think it's funny uh i i, I realized this season how much the Messi-Ronaldo thing was driven by them playing for Barcelona and Real Madrid in the same league every week because I haven't thought about it as much this season. I'm not looking at Messi's performances and Ronaldo's and necessarily comparing them to each other. Like It feels a bit different now that they're not in the same league. Maybe when they get in the Champions League, they're in the same competition. But for now, I don't know. I haven't thought about it as much as like always comparing those two to, together. So I don't know. Maybe there's something to that. So you think Messi sucks? Is that what you're saying too? Moving on. <laughs> what else? All right, we'll end on this. Uh, the MLS regular season has reached its home stretch. The playoffs are right around the corner. We have teams already clinching and being eliminated. Yep. Any overall thoughts? Who's emerging as your favorites? Uh, what do you think are the most intriguing storylines as we head? Uh, so down most the intriguing storylines are who's going to win Supporters Shield right now. You got the Red Bulls uh, and Atlanta United and uh, and NYCFC and FC Dallas all kind of vying for. Well, not FC Dallas. I think it's just right now it's New York Red Bulls and Atlanta. Uh, United vying for that supporter shield. The other thing is DC United. We're recording this on Monday. Uh, yesterday, they got a big win against Atlanta United. DC United coming on strong here at the end, fighting for that playoff spot. I think uh, our friend uh, Brad Friedel and uh, the New England Revolution, I think that with their inability to get three points at home over the weekend, I think that they're not going to make the playoffs. I still don't think Toronto's going to make the playoffs. Orlando and Chicago are done. Uh, when it comes to the uh, to the West, 
it's going to be really, really interesting. There is a, a, a log jam, if you will, at that playoff line. The LA Galaxy got thumped, uh, which is not good for the LA Galaxy. It's certainly not good for Ziggy Schmidt. I think if, if the, if the LA Galaxy don't make the playoffs, Ziggy Schmidt's gone. I think a bunch of those players are gone, and that team will look very, very different uh, uh, different next year. San Jose right now currently is the only team that has been eliminated right now. It's going to have been a complete disaster for San Jose uh, uh, this, uh, this year. LAFC just continues to roll on. They went up to Toronto. Bob Bradley has done a wonderful job with that team uh, where they're going to you know, finish what second or third, uh, unless something ridiculous happens, and they might uh, might even finish first in the West. So, congratulations to uh, LAFC and what they're doing over there. And you know, once the playoffs start, as we all know, it's this reset for a lot of teams. And you know, a lot of people say, well, you know that that's not good for a league because you can just kind of coast and get to the playoffs, uh, or you can not be good during the regular season and just find a way in the playoffs and then win the, win the league. Well. The best teams and the one that I give the most credit to are the ones who are able to both consistently perform through the regular season and then take it up to a whole nother level in the uh, postseason. doesn't happen a lot of times, uh, and a lot of times the people that do, do win Supporters' Shield don't go on to win MLS Cup. But right now, when we're talking about the playoff line, I know there's no promotion relegation. I'm not going to go down that road right now, but it's, it's a wonderful topic, and we, we talk about it, and it's evergreen. But... The reality is when it comes to the playoff line for not all teams, but for, for a handful of teams, that is the, the uh, demarcation for good versus bad, successful versus failure when it comes to a season right now. Uh, and there's going to be people on the outside looking in, uh, and there's going to be repercussions in terms of coaches changing and players not being there next year. So everybody's fighting for that spot right now. This is a, a fun time of year when it comes to uh, Major League Soccer. Uh, but I think a, a big uh, talking point is D.C. United. and If Ben Olsen and that D.C. United team standing on 30 points right now, six points back, but with a bunch of games in hand, uh, are able to catch the likes of uh, Montreal and find a way into that uh, into the playoffs after what we know was a really difficult beginning of the season. But they just opened up this stadium and Wayne Rooney and more importantly, Luciano Acosta doing really, really well there. All right. Anything else, Mossy? No, that's it. That is it. All right. Uh, my one big thing. It's how we end each and every podcast, and it goes back to the way we started the podcast with an homage and a thank you to the great player uh, that Clint Dempsey was. We have had plenty of great players over the years when it comes uh, to the United States national team and when it comes to uh, uh, U.S. soccer. And I mentioned and touched it on, uh, on it a little bit in my State of the Union, what makes Clint Dempsey special to me. It's what makes people special to me. People that think about life, uh, think about that people that go about their life uh, in a different way. And I think Clint Dempsey has done that from the start. And as I also mentioned, he, he doesn't apologize for anything. And at times, he could be frustrating. He could be frustrating as someone who's watched him play, and I'm sure he could be frustrating at times to play with because he didn't really play a specific position. When people talk about Clint Dempsey, what position is he? It, 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 it's a bunch of different positions. But no matter what, when you put him on the field, uh, you knew that there was going to be a fight. And you knew that in those special moments, uh, he would find a way to get out of a situation and with a flick or with a trick uh, or with something else. And in our effort, and we talked a little bit about specialization, in our effort to create better soccer players, we can never lose the fact um, that we are first and foremost creating better human beings, hopefully. But as we are creating these better human beings through soccer, 
let's not, as we have them, specialize in soccer and spend more and more hours playing this sport. Let's not forget the, the part of this sport that I think makes it beautiful when we talk about the beautiful game. And that is that it is up to the players playing the game to decide what to do. And those decisions are done by human beings on the field. And we need to empower them to have as many different possibilities as possible when it comes to those decisions. And Clint Dempsey, I think, uh, embodied that concept of doing something that you may even be scared of doing, uh, doing something that you may have been told you can't do uh, or don't or, or shouldn't do. And I think both in soccer and in life, the people that are out there that are encouraging us or providing examples of pushing the proverbial envelope uh, and doing things that, um, that make us go, wow, should be celebrated. And Clint Dempsey is one of them. So once again, thank you to uh, Clint Dempsey. And thank you to everybody for tuning in to the State of the Union podcast. We will be back again next week uh, with another edition of this podcast. But until then, size the day. <laughs>